Hello and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast. This is Olivia Colombo, and I'm so excited to be embarking on this project of sharing stories of the young people of the Catholic Church and those who minister to them. Our title, To The Heights, is a translation of the quote Verso Lealto by Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, a 24-year-old Italian Catholic on his way to canonization because he glorified God in his daily life as a student, as a lover of mountain climbing, and in his caring for the poor and vulnerable. His quote, To the Heights, is a prayer and reminder to keep on reaching for God and for sainthood in our ordinary daily lives. Through my own faith journey, I met and have gotten to know our two guests for today, and they are certainly men who are reaching to the heights. Our guests for this episode are Father Sinisha Ubuparipovich and Father Matthew Conley, two young priests of the Archdiocese of Boston. I met Father Sinisha through various ministry opportunities in the Archdiocese, and I eventually found myself as part of his Life Teen program, the same youth group that Michaela Hagar, our very first guest, is the youth minister of, and that our friends Max and Gavin from BC High are leaders in. I met Father Matthew in the months leading up to our Life Teen pilgrimage to Israel last summer, as he joined our group and was an amazing addition, and he continues to be an awesome friend of our program. These are two priests who I consider to be spiritual fathers, and they have been immensely successful in bringing teens to Christ through their courage, prayer, and leading by example with love. I am so excited and grateful that they agreed to come on the podcast and share a piece of their experiences, their vocation stories, and journey with us. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the conversation and learn and get inspired by Father Sunisha and Father Matthew's story of Reaching to the Heights. Yeah, this chair's not happy right now. <laughs> oh, dear. Gonna have to tip that chair later like we tipped that donkey. <laughs> that donkey that's... was used for meat that night. It's very sad. All right. Are you a vegetarian? I was, but college made me into a carnivore. Did it? It did. Really? But meat's expensive. Yes. How the hell do you afford it? <laughs> college meal plan money. Oh, yeah. Big Mac? No. Okay, live. Yes. All right. You ready? Like O'Reilly. Let's do this. All right. We are in the Catholic TV studio in Watertown, and I have two very exciting guests sitting with me. Would you both like to introduce yourself, your name, your parish, as you gesture to each other, um, your name, your parish, and maybe how long you've been a priest? My name is Father Sinesha Buparapovich. I am a priest uh, at at St. Paul's and Resurrection Church in Hingham, Massachusetts, and I have been a priest today four years. Oh, is today your anniversary? Today's my anniversary. Is it today? Wow. Happy anniversary. Thank you very much. Still happy and not resentful, which is amazing. That's good. Amen. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Father Matthew Conley from far away from here, across the street, St. Patrick's and Sacred Heart in Watertown. Been a priest three years, and my anniversary was two days ago. Oh. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and you're so close that you walked over here, I right? I walked. Yep. You walked? I walked. My Fitbit was excited. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> See, in the olden days, they would have taken to Uber. <laughs> Come across yeah. the Catholic TV station. The 10 feet from the door of your office to here. Yep. Then, this is a new Father Matthew now. It's a new one. Fit. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, yes. I guess this is a logical place to start. We've had people of all vocations come on the podcast. Um, we just had a lovely nun from the Daughters of St. Paul a few episodes ago, ago, and she was awesome. 
Um, but would you each like to tell the abbreviated version of your vocation story, how you ended up at St. John's <clears throat> Seminary, where you met? Well, I was born at a very young age. I knew that was coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually born in Bosnia in uh, 87, just before the Civil War. We had a Civil War in the 90s. My dad had to go to war. He eventually passed away in action. Then my mom, who was 28 at the time, took my brother and myself to Germany. I was six. He was three. And we lived in Germany for five years. Ended up moving to the U.S. Lived in Lynn, Massachusetts. And then I started to work for the parish at St. Joe's in Lynn. And I became very friendly with the priest there. And as I was working, trying to help my mother out, he would say to me, hey, Sinisha, you'd make a great priest someday. And that always scared me, you know, especially at a young age. And the thoughts of celibacy was like such a strange thing for for somebody at that age. And I was never, I was like, I could never do that. And so I went to college. Bent the university, studied abroad, and kind of like saw the world a little bit, and went out a lot too, and did the did the party lifestyle thing in college, and all of that stuff was fun, but it left me very unsatisfied, and I kept longing for more, and I asked myself, is there more to this life that can fully satisfy the desires of my heart? And so, I remember coming back at Bentley University, nailed down in my room one day, and I was so tired of the world and what it had to offer because it promised me like promised me happiness but it never it only gave me fun and there's a difference between happiness and fun and, or, and joy and uh, I, I surrendered my life to God officially and I said Jesus from this day forward my life belongs to you I give you my past my present and my future and if you want me to be a priest because that kept popping up in my head because that priest asked me like what if that's true what if that's true and um, my desire began to grow after that night once I made my official surrender to Jesus I said Lord I'm all yours teach me where you want me to go even if it's the priesthood I hope it's not but I'll do it if you want me to do it just give me the desire to do it and so it kept on popping up, kept on popping up the next few weeks. And I couldn't ignore it. My desire kept growing, and I knew it was from God, and I couldn't ignore it. So saw Pope Benedict a few months later, and that confirmed everything. And I saw a lot of young people, and that kind of like really empowered me to say, wow, this church is not just a, you know, because my experience was just a lot of elderly people and, and masses. And I saw a lot of young people there, and I said, wow. It was like Christ telling me, come be my bridge and help, help these people get to heaven that day. So I came back, finished off college. I worked in downtown Boston for about seven or eight months and uh, as, an, as an accountant. And then I went to the seminary in 2009. Got ordained four years ago, 2015, and been at St. Paul's in Resurrection and in Hingham for the last four years. Yeah, and so, you are having a wonderful time at Resurrection. Yes, it's good. It's very, um, it's a very fruitful and happy priesthood. Praise, praise God. Yes. Praise the Lord. Just got to step what, in. Whose phone is? Someone's buzzing. That's me. Yeah. I think your Fitbit is telling you to move. <laughs> yeah. We've been sitting here for six minutes. 87 steps to go. <laughs> um, so that buzzing will keep going. Okay. Let's we'll just allow it to be. Yeah. Uh, for me, mm, yeah. My vocation <laughs> began as a small child. I was maybe six years old when I said, I'm going to be a priest. And... Everybody said, well, that's weird. My family didn't really know what that meant. They didn't really like it. They didn't really know how to understand it. And there was no real precedent for me to have said that because, uh, you know, I love my family. Uh, we have, a, we have a, as my dad likes to say, we put the fun in dysfunctional. Um, but my family wasn't practicing the faith at all, uh, not even minimally. And... For me to have such a desire, uh, and it only actually recently, in the last couple of years after ordination, uh, it really dawned on me that my introduction to the church happened accidentally. 
and that was, well, on purpose, but accidentally at the same time. Uh, my father was a custodian for a church, and I used to go to work with him as a boy every so often, and uh, and he would invite me to go in. We never went to Mass or anything together, but he would invite me to, you know, bless myself and to say a prayer, and uh, as from the earliest ages I can remember, I was going to work with him every so often at St. Anthony Shrine in downtown Boston, um, and... It was from that experience, I think, that I got to experience the church and the Lord, and he worked through that, that experience to shape my, uh, my love of, of the church and the priesthood, and very quickly I had a desire to be a priest, and I didn't really know what that meant. Um, fast forward to my teenage years, um, still wanted to do it. For a little period of time, I was kind of uh, away from the church for a little while, kind of anti-church for a period of time, and it was the challenge of a, of a high school religion teacher who told me to, to go back to Mass. Um, and I kind of rolled my eyes at her and said, whatever. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go talk to the priest in my local parish. I had never been there before. Uh, I had never been in the rectory before um, where the offices were. And I remember going there, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the priest why I'm never coming back and why uh, this is not going to be part of my world anymore. And I can't wait to tell this priest that I'm never coming back. And so I rang the bell, and I'll never forget, this woman answered the door, and she had purple hair. Um, she was the secretary there, and I said, I, I would like to speak to the pastor, you know, very proudly, emphatically, you know, 15-year-old me. Um, and this, you know, this stocky guy come bumbling towards me. And I said, who is that? And she said, that's the pastor. I said, oh, well, this will be an easy conversation. <laughs> uh, I was looking for a fight, to be honest. I was looking for him to give me more reasons to not come back. I was looking for him to kind of throw me out of his office. How dare you come in here? And But he didn't. We met for almost like three hours and I just laid out all the frustrations I had had with the church. I laid out all the frustrations I had had um, in general. And uh, he just listened. He didn't speak a single word the entire rant that I was on. And he just sat there in his little rocking chair and he rocked back and forth listening to every word I said. Um, and when I was finally finished with my rant, um, he kind of looked at me and he says, on behalf of my brother priest and on the church, I want to apologize for anything we have done to hurt you uh, or to not make you feel like um, this is your home. And that's not what I wanted. I, so I was caught off guard by that, and I didn't know how to combat that. I was like, oh, man, that's not what I wanted. I, I wanted to fight. And that kind of softened my heart a little bit, and then we got to talking a little bit more, and... Um, uh, and he said, you know, you're probably right. You're probably not ready to come back to Mass. But I have a youth group, and I think you might like it. And uh, we meet on Sunday nights. And the rest is history. Um, started going to that youth group. And very quickly after that, um, my, uh, my desire for priesthood, my desire to get back into the church, like, came back a thousandfold. It was so much stronger and it came very quickly. Um, and that was my sophomore year of high school. By the end of my junior year, I decided I wanted to apply to the minor seminary. 
Um, so meaning I would go right after high school. Um, and this priest had walked uh, with me every step of the way, uh, was accepted to the minor seminary after my senior year. And again, this priest became part of my world through the ups and the downs, the challenges of seminary life, the challenges of my trying to mesh my personality with the demands. Uh, I was, I was be- definitely what they would call the black sheep of the family uh, at the seminary um, and got in trouble a lot for doing stupid stuff. Um, but uh, this priest was always there with me every step of the way till the day of my uh, ordination, and this priest also preached my first Mass mm. as a priest. Uh, and uh, without having had that encounter with an authentic priest and a good person, a good man, um, I don't know where I'd be today, but that's kind of my story in a nutshell. That's beautiful, yeah. And it's very interesting how both of your stories come out of other good priests. Very yeah, interesting. yeah, it's true. And it happens to be that the priest that inspired Father Matthew to be a priest actually lives with, with me and was also a great role model to me in directory and a uh, great source of knowledge and wisdom. So True. there's another thing that connects us. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yes. And he was giving out fun facts about the moon the other day. But yes, he was. Yes, he was. Well, he does just have a, you know, a little degree from Harvard <laughs> in astrophysics. Just little and a couple books about prime numbers, but yeah. it's fine. So exciting. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of exciting... <laughs> What would you say that the greatest joy thus far, or some of the greatest joys of the priesthood, have been? Wow. Um, there's, I mean, the whole thing is, to me, is, is joyful. And uh, there's no such thing as a bad day. I don't believe in such things. I think bad days are something that we make up in our heads. Because I think bad days is a result of a lack of gratitude, right? So if you recognize how much God has blessed us and the grace he's bestowed upon us and the gifts he's given us, how can you have a bad day? Like If you, have, if you said Mass that day, how can you have a bad day having brought Jesus into the world? Or if you've heard one confession absolve one person from their sins, how can you have a bad day, right? That doesn't mean to say that there won't be difficulties and challenges. That's, not, that's just part of being alive on this planet, right? But to call that day a bad day, I, I just, I, I'm never going to settle for that, right? It's always, thank you, Lord, for, these, for, this, for this day, for these gifts, for, the, for being able to say Mass, to be able to console somebody in sacrament of confession, to be able to you know, have a youth group to be able to have food in my stomach to be able to glorify you by my life. So I think I think the priesthood has really instilled in me a deeper sense of gratitude, which has intensified a sense of joy for life and a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning, right? And so it starts with gratitude. I think that's the antidote to a lot of our ailments in our life. It sounds like, it may sound cliche, it may sound something oh, I've heard that before, but if you think, stop to think about it, I think the most joyful people in the world are ones who are grateful because they recognize what has been given to them as gifts from God. And when you recognize that grace and those gifts, there's nothing but to be grateful and, and, and joyful and, and have purpose and meaning to your life. So uh, the most joyful aspect has been that, is recognizing the great multitude of grace and gifts that God bestows upon us every day and to be all the more willing to serve Him. So true. Very true. You have any greatest joys? That was, that was good. That was he good. did well. Right, that's like down. he's like the director of a Hallmark. Like, what was that? I don't even know how to how do I how do I combat that with something greater? Uh, no, everything he said is accurate. Everything is true. Um, you know, I guess I have to do a better job of not allowing myself to have bad days. Um, but no, uh, yeah, no, everything he said, you know, spot on. Okay. Joy of the priesthood is. In being a priest, you know, people will say, what do you enjoy the most? Yes, 
The answer is yes. Yeah. I enjoy it all. Uh, even the frustrations, you know, because there's a level, and this might sound corny or whatever, but there's a level of, um, you know, frustration helps to you to kind of fortify yourself and to do better uh, when you find yourself in frustrating circumstances or when you just don't want to do something uh, and you know you have to, you have a duty to do it. Um, the grace of ordination gives you that 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 edge, that push to be able to go and do it. So for me, uh, uh, everything has been joyful. Everything has, it hasn't been perfect. You know, I don't want it to seem like my life is perfect. Um, I get in my way a lot and make things uh, harder for myself sometimes. But uh, yeah, every day, put my feet on the ground, say, you know, Lord, here I am. Let me do your will again today. Let me do it well, and let me let me get out of the way as best I can, and uh, and let you work through me. And uh, when I do that well, everything goes fine. When I don't do that well, uh, it's it's is it's as easy as that. It's as simple as that. When I get out of the way, things are going well, and things are very joyful. When I get back in the way, that's when things can be frustrating. True. Very true. That reminds me of um, last week we had Father Damien Ferentz, who I don't know if either of you have heard of him. He's from the Diocese of Cleveland, but he wrote a book for the Daughters of St. Paul. But he said his answer to what's the greatest joy of being a priest um, is just being a priest and, like, resting in that being. Which I thought was a very interesting answer. Um, yeah. Yes. It's true. Very true. So I asked your – well, I they're your your kids, your children – <laughs> in the life team program. That's going to be edited, too. Yeah. Uh, you know. I don't have children. Neither do I, for the record. You're a spiritual, spiritual father. Children. Spiritual children only. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, the three of us took a very interesting trip to Israel, Israel last August. That was quite the time. Um, but a lot of teens from Resurrection and Hingham came, and I, we, so we separated, the, this is a confession, so after the Israel group chat that we have with all of the parents and clergy and children in it, it became a little much at some point in time, so the kids made our own group chat okay. a few months ago. It was much for us, too. It was good. I was so good. glad to block all of you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but in our own group chat, I asked them last night, what if you could ask Father Matthew or Father Sneisha anything? What would you ask? And I got some very interesting answers, and many of them will not be said <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> I didn't even okay. write them down. Say at least one of them. <laughs> um. Uh. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're way beyond any boundaries. Yes. That's okay, Olivia. You don't have to ask those questions. I can, I can, I can suspect who those culprits were and what they asked already. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I figured you could, but they did have some very good holy questions because I asked them for funny questions and I asked them for serious questions. And ironically enough, only the serious ones were ones that I could keep. So. Ten percent. Ten percent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Probably less. All right. Ask but, three questions. Okay. Um, what is the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome as a priest? And that was asked by someone who could potentially be a priest one day. I know that one. <laughs> um, Go ahead. What was the question? Um, what is the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome as a priest? Pride. Pride. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm a prideful guy. 
I think there, well, let me say this. I think there is a difference between being prideful in yourself and being prideful of the gifts God has given you. Okay? You should rejoice in the gifts you've been given. Because when we don't, we're saying to God, eh, whatever. Yeah, I got these gifts. Thanks a lot. Whatever. I think there's gratitude. I guess that's more what it is. But um, as much as the world is kind of um, anti-Catholic or getting more and more so, um, there's, there are a lot of people who still treat priests so much better than we sometimes deserve to be treated. Like I go out to a restaurant or I'm walking down the street and people are super kind or I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a place where somebody has bought my coffee for me or just did something kind and I can sometimes get caught up in myself and be prideful and not recognize the goodness of that act and just be kind of full of myself, full of my own abilities and... um, I'm humbled. I have a great staff that I work with, and they humble me pretty much every day to come back down to earth. Uh, but I think the hardest sometimes can be pride because you allow, again, like I was saying earlier, you allow yourself to get in the way of what God's trying to do. And there's no doubt in my mind that um, I do God's work the best when it is being done with no pride in the way, when it is being done without me kind of inserting myself. Now, our personalities are gifts too, and who we are. God has made us as unique individuals, and we use our gifts and talents to be able to to shape our world around us and to help inspire people. We have to use those things. I think sometimes there is a sense of false humility when we are so closed in and we're so monotone or we don't use our personalities. I think that is also can be a negative. So for me, uh, balancing out the gifts that God has given me and my, my pride and trying to mesh those together to, to be uh, what God wants it to be. I don't know. I think that's... Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. That made me think of a few weeks ago, I needed, um, I needed a press pass to get into the cathedral for the opening um, for the torch. And um, one of my professors, I was telling him about it, and he was like, let me call the office. Um, and he introduced himself as Monsignor whatever, and he got exactly what he needed something that I had been trying to get and had not successfully gotten. So I think there's definitely a balance of like, and he put down the phone and he was like, Olivia, that was clericalism. I'm very sorry, but it got you what you needed. So I think there's a balance of like knowing that like you are like your gifts versus, I don't know, there's a fine balance of pride. And I think that's a very solid answer. Yeah. What about you, Father? Uh, <clears throat> I think you come as a newly ordained and you have a lot of ideas of how things should be run. And so you're, you're inclined to, um, you know, judge things that aren't the way you think it should be in a parish and it's like, oh, this should be done here. And, and then you begin to realize as you grow in your priesthood, oh my goodness, it's like, like it, it takes a lot to, you know, to make a change that's like not just like something you feel like in the moment, but that's long lasting and, and enduring. And so for me, that was the biggest challenge is like thinking that there's quick fixes to things in a parish and there isn't. And sometimes it just takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of prayer to move uh, a goal, a desire that you have in your heart, you think is from God into that direction. So I think surrendering was when I began to understand more what surrender means. And one of the people's, as you know, that I listened to is this Todd White. He's oh, not a yes. Catholic, but uh, he's been very influential in, in the way I look at relationship with Jesus. What talks about surrender, and once you're surrendered, 
I, I don't know how you have how there can be room for discouragement in life. Doesn't mean again there won't be difficulties, but you, there's definitely never a moment when you you can feel discouraged in the sense of like hopeless or the sense of I wasted my energy on that, nothing came of it because you begin to see that fruits and and the fruit of, of your labor may not be ever visible to you, not just while you're at that present parish, but even in your own lifetime, right? So you just don't know. And the only thing you say is Jesus, I give him, I give you my life, and I ask you to use me to glorify you to whatever extent, whether I visibly see the fruit or don't, right? And to just completely be surrendered and trusting that so long as you say yes to him 24-7, so long as you're hooked up to his grace, so long as you keep focused on him, like the results, uh, the way you per- perceive results to be good or not good really become irrelevant because you re- recognize that those, resor- those results can't be seen in this world sometimes. They may be only seen at the moment you judge uh, the judgment day, right? So that's like one of them, one of those challenges that I learned quickly. Thanks be to God I learned that quickly because that kind of crushed any discouragement you could, I would, I would have had over the years of like what could be done or not done in a parish. And then the second one, I mean, just little things like, you know, people say to me, pray for me, Father, can you pray for this? Can you pray for that? And I say yes. And then I don't write it down. And then I forget later on. It's like, who did I say I was going to pray for what? And so... Like some of those little faults that one has, maybe they're bigger faults because I'm responsible for these people's, you know, intentions sometimes. I Challenges like that, like I need to write things down and I'm just like weak and forgetting and don't have a pen or a paper on me and too late to take my phone out. And so there's all, those little things in my life that I definitely need tweaking and more more attention. True. Very true. I I remember I was with Father Matt Williams in Faneuil Hall one day, and someone came up to him and randomly asked for prayer, and he whipped out his phone right away. And he has, like, a super long, like, essay-long page of notes in his phone that he has all of these different people, and he wrote down her name right away. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I started doing that. He loves his people. Absolutely. Yes. Amazing priest. Um, All right. Next question from your spiritual children. Um, Have you ever had a moment when you realized, like, this is why I do this? Like, this is why I'm a priest? Do you have one moment that you could point to? One moment. It was a girl who asked that question. Uh, yeah, I think. Yes, of course. I think there's there are many moments, right? But a lot of times, you can sometimes find yourself, or at least I'll speak for myself. You can sometimes find yourself in that dangerous position of rote, kind of like doing things. You you do it so much. You do it so much. Um, for me. Luckily, nothing is ever nothing ever seems rote, even though I can be doing it over and over and over again. Like I, I celebrate a lot of funerals, right? And um, death is part of my world uh, a lot more than the average person, right? So um, every experience I have um, is a new one, and I have to remind myself each time that this is a new experience, these are new souls, these are new people that I have to be present to. And for me, uh, I'm always reminded in those moments, especially the moments of grief and sadness, uh, of what my role is and what it isn't and what I need to do. So for me, I would say if I had to pick one moment, um, I was like, this is... There's no one else other than the priest that makes sense in this very moment and recognizing how small I was in the moment but also what, who I was in the moment was very powerful is when I had to uh, be present in the room uh, of, a, of, a, of a firefighter who had just passed away um, 
first time in over 70 years that our community had lost a firefighter battling a fire. Um, and I had only been ordained eight months, and I had just become the chaplain to the fire department here in, in Watertown. And um, this firefighter had, you know, young children, mm -hmm. uh, teenage children, and to be in that moment and to have to, um, you know, anointing him and to be present. There was nothing else I could do other than to be present. But there was nothing else that people saw. They didn't see Matt Conley. They didn't see the kid from Dorchester. They didn't see the guy from St. Pat's or Sacred Heart. They saw the priest, period. And I was present in that moment, in that grief, in that sadness. Um, and I was reminded in that very moment that this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is what priesthood is. Uh, you know, obviously the sacraments and all those, all the things that make us who we are. But that moment really sticks out for me as a moment that reminded me of why I, I did this and why I felt that the Lord had called me to this vocation. Yeah. Beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's hard. Those questions are so, so easy to ask, but they're so difficult to yes. answer. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, I mean... First of all, there's, yeah, I mean, every day I have the answer for my why. Why am I doing this? Every day it's always the why is to glorify Jesus, no matter what the circumstances are. But, I mean, I'll give you some highlights of the priesthood. Like, um, see a man who is not baptized and is disposed towards the faith and is dying in his deathbed in a hospital. His daughter just became Catholic a couple of months ago. She says, Father, my dad's dying. Can you see him? I said, do you think he wants to get baptized? She says, I will ask him. He can't communicate with her, so he blinks, and he, she says to him, do you want Father Sinisha to come in and baptize you and give you the sacraments? And he blinks very intentionally. It's the only way for him to communicate. I come in pretty much that same day or the next day, and I'm able to baptize him. I'm able to um, anoint him. I'm able to give him a small piece of the Eucharist. I'm able to confirm him um, and say all the priestly blessings of him, and he dies hours later. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you go visit somebody just yesterday. A uh, woman is in in hospice house. I get called in. Husband is not Catholic, does not have anything, is angry at anything spiritual. I come in, and she has the right to the sacrament. She's Catholic. She said, do you want me to pray for you? Yes. And I'm able to give her all the sacraments. She's still alive, I think, today, but... Like, that's not an irregular occurrence, things like that. Um, and you say, that's what you say. It's like, you, you know, you, you, this is pretty significant, but you have no idea how significant this is in the eyes of God. You know, and you only see it later on that you were able to be in that room to bring somebody grace before they die. That's huge, right? That you are basically sometimes standing before them, and who, could, who knows? They could be not in a good state before God, and all of a sudden when you leave, they're in a good state before God. They're ready to meet them. They have peace, right? And so hearing witness talks from young people of how God, how Jesus has touched their lives gives me great joy. Like, that's awesome. Somebody comes to confession. There's the regulars and there's those who have been for 50 years. Father, I have been 50 years. Can you help me? Yes, let's go through it. People come in stressed. They leave with peace on their soul. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that could ever do that, right? That could, and I tell people all the time, this is, confession is not a psychological trick. 
there's a reason why you come in and there's a reason you feel good afterwards. Most of most of the time it doesn't always have to mean that you, if you don't feel something, you did something wrong. But it's because the grace of the blood of Jesus covered you and released you from all your sins. Like, that's awesome that a priest, that a human being represents Jesus and isn't able to do that, right? So, and that's not even to mention, hey, oh my gosh, my hands get to bring Jesus into the world at every Mass. Oh my gosh, like, I get to anoint people when they're sick. Oh my gosh, I get to count people when they're going through trouble. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I can always point to, to the Lord who has, who has the answers. So, yeah, it's it's been a great adventure. In four years, looking back at my priesthood, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Like, how amazing this is. I knew this was going to be great because anybody who, who serves Jesus is going to have, serves the Lord, is going to have a great adventure in his life. But, man, the more we say yes, the more power there is and the more souls get touched by that. And all credit to him, you know, because he does it all. And I just say yes to his grace. That's the only credit I get is the fact that I get to say yes to his grace. That's it. Mm. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah. That beautiful hallmark director yes um write those down guys write those down taking notes oh yes definitely and your phone that's over on the windowsill (laughs) um so i thought this was a very interesting question from a high schooler they were wondering how you guys lived your faith in high school which probably has different answers um but how you lived your faith in high school maybe slash how you lived it in college i'm adding on the college piece because a lot of our listeners college kids and i'm a college kid yeah um I guess I have to humble myself here. Uh, high school was a unique experience for me because everybody in my high school, they called me Father Matt. <laughs> like, that was my nickname. I had other nicknames, too, but I won't tell you what they were. <laughs> but let's just go with that one. Yeah. I'm um, Sister Olivia. Yeah. Sister Mary Olivia, oftentimes. Well, Father Matt was the, is the best one I can share here. Um, but um, I, was a, I was kind of a split personality in high school. I was a bit of a hypocrite. Uh, let's just let's just get there. Let's just do that Dr. Phil moment right now. Like, I was a bit of a hypocrite in high school. Like, uh, I didn't really get the direction I wanted to be a priest. I sometimes felt myself better than other people. I I um, was always known as the class clown. I was always getting in trouble for stupid stuff. Um, I was good at it. Like, that was the worst part. Is like I was really good at the class clown thing, and. Even the teachers, I think, would admit that things I did were funny, but they couldn't admit in the moment. But now, 12 years later, I think they'd be like, okay, that was really funny, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that then. Um, but no, I, <laughs> I had a lot of fun in high school just doing crazy, weird stuff. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, the peer pressure was still there, and I love the faith. I would defend the faith. I won't say that I I didn't shy away from that. I actually enjoyed debating people on topics of faith and morals. Um, And I was pretty confident about what I believed. Actually, I wrote my senior paper, my high school senior paper, on the evils of abortion. Um, And my uh, thesis advisor um, didn't agree with my my thesis, but still worked with me on it and and was very balanced and and, and good and helpful. And um, so I I still kind of presented the church teachings as best as I could. But uh, I think for me, high school was a a weird time of trying to figure out uh, where I was at. And that was also, as I said earlier, the time that I was kind of a little bit away, a little bit in, and then towards the end of my sophomore year of high school is when I met that priest and the, the everything changed. So 
high school for all four years was a unique beast. Um, but I, I went to Mass. I went to my youth group faithfully, um, you know, and I tried my best uh, to, uh, to live out the faith. But there were times where peer pressure would get to me and I would fall into the, the old traps of the world. Um, and then in college, it was, it was a different experience because for me, unlike for the Sanisha, I went to the seminary while I was in college. So that was a whole new world. I lived in a seminary, but I studied at Providence College. Go Friars. Yeah. Um, but so even then, there was a learning curve for me. Um, but I was, I was a seminarian and a college student. So I didn't really live the college life that everybody, yeah. you know, so craves. I didn't really need it, didn't really desire it, but I had the best of both worlds in that in that time, like being in the seminary and being focused and regimented, which was helpful for me, and then also being able to be on campus, get to know people on campus, go to different events. Uh, I knew a kid who actually ran a hip-hop radio show for the campus, and I used to go in the studio a couple of times uh, and be with him just That's at awesome. night while he was doing his <laughs> hip-hop show, because I liked hip-hop music, and I still yeah. do. And I would just go and be there for every so often for some of his uh, recordings. Mm. So, yeah. That is a fun fact. That's a fun fact. There yes. you go. Yeah. Yeah, my, my faith was uh, my <coughs> conviction, but it was mechanical. A lot of it was uh, rule-oriented. Uh, I lacked what we would say relationship with God. Um, so, so my faith oftentimes wasn't received well, I don't think, by others. They, they respected my convictions, but I was never able to articulate it in a reasonable way. And I, was, I had the truth down, but I didn't have the spirit down or really the, the love aspect of it all down. And it became very much communicate. You communicate. My faith was a communication of rules and morals at the time, I think. So, uh, and the same thing in college. Um, I did go to Mass every Sunday. I went to confession. But again, all in my prayer life, all of that was good, but it was mechanical. And I don't know if that's part of just being youth but i don't think it is because i look at the youth in our parish and like holy smokes these kids have confidence they're normal they can articulate their faith well they're like the faith is the, what defines them and, and most of them are not ashamed to admit it you yeah. know at least around me i don't know what they, they would have put me to shame yeah if i were a high school kid in front of them today i would have been put to shame yeah i would have been too definitely and and that's actually that's another joy of knowing like these guys are more spiritual at least have a deeper relationship with Jesus than I did at their day. Because for me, religion was faith. It was religion, and it was, it was faith and morals, and it was be good and, and live a good moral life. And and it was very rule-oriented for me. And it really wasn't until till seminary. I mean, even into the seminary is when I was like, man, this, the only way to sustain this is through love. And if you don't have love, it's very hard to follow a lot of rules and a lot of commandments, especially in this crazy world that's very tempting, right? So... That something clicked along the way of relationship has to be priority before morals and morals flow out of relationship, you know. True, yes. Um, tangent off of that about prayer life, um, someone wanted to know if Israel and going to Israel changed your prayer life and changed anything about your priesthood. I know that many of us had profound experiences of like scripture coming alive and stuff in our daily lives as students, but is that the same or different for you guys as priests? It intensified, it intensified that which I knew to be true, and I mean, made scripture come more alive, as it did for you guys. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, it gave me just a lot of hope. I mean, that whole trip gave me a lot of hope because one of the highlights, really, of the whole youth ministry thing really was watching you guys pray. And and I know, I, like, Father Matthew and I guided you guys through prayer and we made times for prayer. But to say, holy smokes, like, at that age, these kids are contemplating Scripture. Like, they're sitting there reading Scripture and contemplating it on their own and they're immersed in it. I don't think I was able to do that. Like, I... At that age, no way. Like to to no. read it and to like spiritual apply it to my life and to like absorb it into my soul, and it's just incredible to watch. And it just gave you so much hope to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm nobody, I'm nothing, and and these kids are just like, just amazing. Like to watch God's grace dispose them so amazingly, in a, such a deep way. So that to me, it just gave me more courage. It gave me more hope. And uh, and it was a grace to be able to vit- witness those fruits in your guys' lives, you know, months to come after that, even today. Yeah. I mean, last night we had a college Bible study at mm-hmm. Resurrection. A lot of those Israel kids came, and they're still immersed in it. They want to know more about Scripture. We're studying the book of Corinthians. You know, there's 13 of them that came last night. And it's like, praise God. People love the Word of God, mm-hmm. you know? So Very gratitude, true. encouragement, uh, hope, those were all definitely part of my those fruits for my trip. Yeah, just like that moment we were in the chapel next to the upper room and Michaela was like, everyone who received the gift of tongues on this trip, like, start praying now. I don't, I don't have the gift of tongues. But everyone, like, that was so cool to right. see. And hope for sure. Yeah. Even yeah. as someone who, like, was removed from that and just watching that happen around me. Like, there's, like this is my generation. This is the church. And this is what it's going to look like. And that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. In difficult times, heroes come come out of those difficult times and it's like the protestant reformation and after that was the catholic reformation while the saints came out i think that's going to be the era we're going to have to live like that too it's going to be difficult times as you see crazy stuff happening in our church and the only way out of this is not programs or policies although all that's important but it's really radical saints who are willing to step forward and go all in and uh i pray and i i am very hopeful that a number of those kids will come from our parish who are going to be like those rock solid leaders and already are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I was happy to be an outsider welcomed into that group. <laughs> I think I did all right in the Holy Land. Um, Pretty all right, except for the I did donkey. did all right. Listen, the donkey, <laughs> I needed to get right a donkey, okay? You know, anybody who's listening, get a hold of Olivia if you want to buy a mug, nine ninety five. <laughs> it's a picture of me. I'm a big man on a donkey with scripture from kings oh yes and you'll love it both the donkey and father matthew look very pleased yeah with i was not happy <laughs> yep i was not happy father sanisha led us through the valley of death that was awful um that was i almost awful. didn't survive that and we were in the worst part was that we were denied entry into the russian orthodox monastery mm-hmm. like we went all the way through the valley of hell i mean and we were denied entry i almost just barged through like what are they gonna do I almost went in. Excommunicate you. Know, you. They wouldn't. They can't. They're from a that's, different church. It's not gonna, that's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> I would have ransacked the fridge, check out what they eaten. But <laughs> um, Holy Land, uh, Scripture. I mean, I read Scripture very differently now because I can actually picture myself in the sites, at the sites, at those places. The coolest thing is when we were at Cana and a wedding party drove by as we were walking through Cana. Like, that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, Scripture definitely comes alive more um, because you can actually picture having stood in these places 
And uh, I think it, it enhanced my priesthood, but it reminded me of our Lord's humanity, like how our Lord actually lived in these places. Like he was there, yeah, you know, and we were too. Um, but also, just to throw this out there, um, I don't know anyone else other than Father Sinesia who could have pulled off a trip like that with, what do we have, 16, 17 high school kids uh, or teenagers, let's say, in early college. Um, I don't think a group like that has ever been to the Holy Land, and I don't think a group like that will ever go back. We were a, we were a special group. Um, that was a unique group of people. Um, even Our group even helped our tour guide who hadn't been to Mass for years, we even inspired him to come back to Mass through what he was able to see through us. So praise God for for that, and we continue to pray for him and for his family and for his reversion back to the faith. But the fact that we were able to get him to attend Mass for the first time in years uh, was awesome. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, and even when kids, I don't know, I was shocked when kids were like, asking for more prayer time like i thought that was a very good yeah. example like every spot we went to or most spots we would have like quiet prayer time where we would all separate for i don't know what 45 minutes yeah. to an hour yeah. but we always wanted more it was a true um, pilgrimage it wasn't a vacation and it wasn't just a trip it was a true pilgrimage yes absolutely yeah. no doubt about it yeah no we prepared for that and we prayed scripture verses in advance and that was important is to but connect that what's in scripture with the spots and to give people time to pray because a lot of it is just yes father matthew have you hand up no i'm stretching man oh, okay huh. Fit, right. fitbit told me to stretch oh <laughs> of course it did <laughs> okay um what someone else asked and i think this is interesting what was your favorite moment in israel and or your favorite place that we visited my favorite moment was when i woke up to all of the um, Asian tourists taking my picture. <laughs> that was awesome. In the Holy Sepulchre like, Church. In this Holy Sepulchre Church. Like, they're in the place of our Lord's crucifixion and death, <laughs> and there's 76 people from an Asian tour group taking my picture. Um, Why did you fall asleep? I was praying the rosary, oh. and I fell asleep praying it. I mean, why not? That's the best way to go. I was used. I used to be told in the minor seminary. Our rector used to tell us, "If you fall asleep praying the rosary, the angels will finish it for you." It's yes. Like that's pretty awesome. They can finish it because I am tired right now. Let's let's go. Where? Uh, but I fell asleep like in the cave, like in the bo- in the basement of Holy Sepulchre Church, and I was up against the wall, and I woke up, and I had a massive camera in my face, and it was one of those like old polaroids that the film actually comes out as they take the picture and that was awesome and then some of our group were over in the corner laughing as they saw this whole group of asian tourists taking my picture uh i was very discombobulated and confused at that very moment but that was a pretty awesome moment to realize that you know i could be part of their spiritual journey uh and they like there's people in asia right now who have my picture on their fridge uh, and that's pretty awesome. No, <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great story. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. sharing. How's that? Sure inspires them too when they want to see the picture. Yes. You yeah. know? Oh, absolutely. It inspires them every day to eat healthy. <laughs> Subway. <laughs> Better than KFC. That's my place. Did you at least have like the rosary in your hand? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. The rosary is still in my hand. All right. There we oh, go. Yeah, inspirational picture. It was uh-huh. an inspirational picture. Mm-hmm. Um I don't even remember what the question was, but I think <laughs> that's, your a, I think that's a good answer. Favorite moment. That was a good answer. Yeah. I think that was a yeah, decent we'll, answer. Write that one down. Yeah. yeah. That one. Yeah. That that should be the like headline, the, the title. Yep. 
Yeah. No, there's all of those places are amazing, but I think for me the the most overwhelming grace I felt was at the Visitation Church, right? It's just amazing mm-hmm. how like everybody gets hit different places and I got hit there the strongest I felt yeah. like and I felt an intense joy. This is the place where Mary went to visit Elizabeth uh, and just outside of um outside of Jerusalem, the hill country of Judea. What was it called again? Uh, it's the only one there's a funny name to it. Oh, we um, we did I Google it last a couple nights ago? We did, yeah. yeah. We forgot it then, and we knew it then. But um, you know, I just there was like Mary, Jesus, and and, and uh, Elizabeth and John the Baptist all in one spot. Like this is the only time when all four figures are together, and you could just sense the joy in the air of like the greeting that reaches Elizabeth's ears, and the, and the leaping of of John the Baptist in a womb. You can almost sense and feel the presence of joy and of, of new life and and like of a new hope and of a new era. Right, beginning here with these two amazing figures, John the Baptist and Jesus, and so that was that was the that was amazing. That was just for me. It was just like very deep grace and deep joy. So that was my favorite spot, I think. But then yeah. again, all of them were so amazing. True. It's like so hard to compare. That is very true. Right. And that's also where we found the very fluffy white dog. I remember that. Remember mm-hmm. that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some poodle and some noodle. <laughs> that oh. dog was cooked. You All can right. edit that, too. Yeah, we might. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, I have a very interesting question, and I am actually very interested in this. This has nothing to do with Israel, nor priesthood, um, except for the fact that you both studied theology. And I, as a theology student, have this question. Do you know who St. Longinus is? Yes. Yes. Can you briefly tell me, one of you, his story? What, why is he important? What did he do? Well, I think traditionally he's associated with the Roman centurion beneath the cross, right? Yes. He was the one that pierced his side, no? Yeah. Yeah. And what happened when he pierced the side? The blood and water gushed forth, and uh, as the story goes, he falls to his knees and and, and becomes a believer. Truly, this was the Son of God. Son of God, yeah. Okay. Have you ever heard the version of the story where he was blind and the blood and water made him able to see? No. Well, that would be an interesting thing that a Roman would be blind. Exactly. That's the point. <laughs> we were very A Roman confused. soldier? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, there's a... Unless he had become blind. I don't know. Like, after he spiritually, became a Roman, spiritually. Roman soldier. He could have been like St. Paul. <laughs> yeah. You know, the scales fell from his eyes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We were all very curious because the version of the story that I grew up with and never seemed to question um, is the fact that he was blind and when the blood and water gushed forth, he could see mm-hmm. again, but... As you pointed out, how, why do we have someone who's in charge of 100 ro- Roman soldiers blind? And right. also, how would he see Christ to pierce him? With the, yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Okay. Interesting. Exactly. That'd be a good confirmation saint name. Maybe there's another thing, Long- Long- Longinus. Longinus? Longinus? How do you say it? I say Longinus. That's, Longinus? How, um, that's how we said it in the ancient Rome game at Discipleship yeah. Week when we dressed up in bedsheet togas. <laughs> oh, my. Good times. Good yes. times. We're not playing it this year, and I'm sad. Yeah, I know. We're finally graduating to bigger and better things. Yes, I know. And we're not playing live-action Saint Clue either. That's weird. <laughs> it was fun. Apparently it didn't I, work. I'm but. going to judge you now. You know, that's okay. What a game. This is no longer a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to the playground behind you. Oh, yeah, that'll look great. <laughs> oh, Me dear. on a swing. <laughs> I think there's weight limits on those, man. The donkey was fine. Be quiet. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, <laughs> we have a big transition to make off of that. But, so I was telling you guys a little bit earlier, I'm currently working, what are you doing? 
Okay. All right. Um, I'm currently working on an article about um, how Discipleship Week started at, um, or maybe I was telling Kelsey, our podcast producer, I don't know. Discipleship Week started with 40 kids at a very tiny college in the middle of nowhere. Um, but all of a sudden we're outgrowing college campuses. So like, how did that transition happen? And we were having a conversation that we wanted to know how that happened at your parishes. Parishes are in different places, but how do you go from starting, you're staring at me, how do you go from starting a group to something that you're taking kids literally around the world and have hundreds of kids in your program? How, what's your advice for starting well, group. And youth how did ministry in the parish. Well, here's here's the thing. I talk to youth ministers all the time, and the number one complaint they have basically is they're not fruitful enough. And the re- I said, how's is the priest involved? Well, no, I mean he kind of lets us run our things. And right there's the first problem. Like a priest, if if you want to have a successful youth ministry, a priest needs to be intentionally involved with the youth ministry. You can't delegate it to a youth minister and say you're in charge. You do this. That's not going to work. You need a base of people. You need a priest who is intentional, who loves children, who loves who loves teens, and who has a desire to have a vibrant parish with teenagers. And that requires a little bit of investment on your own part, right? So a priest needs to show up. He needs to know people's names. He needs to invite kids. I mean, the reason we have so many kids going to Sabbath Week on any of these trips is because Michaela and I spend an absorbent amount of time personally inviting people to it, right? We get to know kids and we invite them. We get to know their parents. Like, that takes a little bit of investment. Yeah. And people think if they're going to have a program, it's going to all of a sudden change everything. Programs don't change people. It's people that change people. And that, that requires working and like dealing with people and getting to know them and going to some of their games and whatever else you need to do in your community to make yourself visible um that's what the secret that we also do a holy hour on thursdays we pray very much for fruit in our parish and initially start out with six ladies and myself we prayed every thursday night for our kids for our youth ministry and two three years later now we're we can get up to 100 people sometimes yeah. at that holy hour on thursday nights or I mean, more you, yeah yeah um so do you have it tonight we have it tonight. Yes, we yeah. do. Yeah. We're coming? Maybe. All right. You should. So it's a, it drops off a little bit in the summer, um, but that's okay. Like, we keep faithful to our holy hour. And um, that's my, I mean, the poor youth ministers, they're like, they think they're doing something wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. The priest needs to be involved if you're going to have a successful youth ministry. And if that's not, if you have gifts that are really good with the youth, but you're not getting no back, backup from the, from the pastor, you may want to reconsider switching jobs and finding another place where you're supported. Because Michaela and I work together all the time. We're very intentional. We plan for things. We, we, you know, we plan for the year. We plan for events. We identify people. We say who would be a good witness speaker, all those things. And we kind of like tag team it together, right? And we, we, we want to have a good youth ministry. And even with all our hard work, you still don't, you know, even with the fruit that we have, I thought we would have had more by now. But it, it just takes a lot of time, a lot of work in a culture that's not very encouraging towards our faith especially when you're young and tempted by a million different things so um that's my advice that's that's all it is is like intentionality zeal um relational get to know the kids if if a priest wants to have a good youth ministry program in his parish but he doesn't know the kids names it's over like forget about it that's not going to work you know it's just it just won't and we have a in our in our collaborative we have two parishes that have very small youth programs and we're trying our best to kind of we have traditional i guess you would call programs although we're we're moving a little bit outside of the traditional we're trying to get more um small group based conversations and group building and faith building like that the ideas of just scattering around the table and looking at a textbook for 2 hours are um it's not working and it's not going to work anymore our kids need more than that and they deserve more than that um in the in the in, if we're going to get them to grow in the faith 
Uh, we need to give them authentic experiences. And I think Discipleship Week does that tremendously of inviting kids into a relationship with Christ and not just learning random facts that they're going to forget in a couple of weeks. But I always say you have to introduce people to Jesus before you can introduce them to his teachings. They have to have a relationship with him first in order to to respect and love what he says, right? Uh, So, you know, I'm very grateful and very pleased that we have four of our high school students going on Discipleship Week this year, and uh, Watertown had never had any representation ever. They had never even heard of it, and all of a sudden now we have four kids. Last year we had one kid. This year we have three more that are going, and hopefully we'll get more next year. Uh, you know, we're working towards that relationship building, and as Father Sanisha said, I 100% agree. If the priests aren't participating, uh, if the priests aren't there, um, it doesn't it doesn't work the kids need to see the priests uh participating and not just there for the sake of being there but there to actually grow with the kids and to to meet them where they're at but not to leave them there right you know that that useless phrase meet them where they're at i don't believe in meet them where they're at i believe in meet them where they're at but don't leave them there right bring them to a new experience bring them to something deeper right. uh and you can have the best youth ministers in the world but if the priest isn't part of that world, if the priest isn't present in those moments, and, you know, especially in this archdiocese, we're getting more and more stretched of what we can mm-hmm. do, you know. Uh, but we have to put our priorities uh, in order. And for me, the two most important things we do in parish ministry are the sacraments and faith formation. Faith formation of kids, youth, and young adults, and adults, and the elderly, sacraments and faith formation of the people. Those are the two most important things we do in parish ministry. And the priest obviously is involved in the sacraments, um, but a lot of times are not involved in the faith formation part. Um, And we need to start thinking of new ways to engage and to be present in those moments. Yeah. Yeah, so very true. goes back to what you were saying about the whole love versus rules thing. Like they need to fall into fall in love and be in relationship with Christ before you can introduce them to the rules. And you can only show them the love by being there and learning their names and such. Right, right. And then modeling the Christian life. Like, yes. The, ask yourselves, what do you want, what is the goal here? What do you want your teens to look like three years from today? Like, what is your image of what a successful youth ministry looks like now? You can say lots of numbers. I mean, I like numbers. I like numbers. Obviously, I want the more kids, the better. But before I get to numbers, I want, like, discipled real deal Christians who are courageous and bold and confident, which our kids are happening to be now, especially it's really amazing to watch. But um, what's what's our goal? Because if your goal is I want a kid who, who does, who is prayerful, are you modeling prayer? Like, and I'm not just talking about a quick prayer before meals. I'm not just talking about a quick, like we have adoration on Thursdays. We have Tuesday night rosaries. We have, so, and kids started the Tuesday night rosary, right? When you yeah. go on mission trips, are you actually teaching them about the Eucharist. Is that the primary goal of a mission trip? Because it can mission trips easily turn into service trips, which is not bad, like you're serving people. But are you connecting that service to the gospel? Or do you have Mass every day? Like we have, when we go on mission trips, we have morning prayer for 40 minutes, we have music, reflection, journaling, we have a rosary throughout the day, we have a Mass in the evening, followed by adoration. And we can do it. Why? Because they're totally disposed at a mission trip. And they're serving all day long. And they're like, it, it feeds them, mm-hmm. right? And it and builds them and like shapes them and molds them. And when they come back, you can use that to propel them to 
do further things in in in, our, in, in their own culture, right? So that's that's the thing. You got to be always intentional, and and you can't just think things are going to happen. You have to plan. You have to say, how is this connected to the gospel? How is this connected to Christ? How, how is this going to help them recognize Christ in the poor or in how we teach them? To, how do we? What do we? What do we tell them when we do adoration? How can we help them to, to pray? And I model it by speaking out phrases, right? And some kids' father, father were, you know, this which is great news. Father, sometimes I prefer silence now. So praise God, like that's that's awesome, yeah. you know, that you want the silence now because that's the end goal is silence and contemplation. Mm-hmm. But there's still like sixty percent of them who are still need like some guidance and they need music to guide them along the way. But the end goal is silence, yeah. right? So model that which you want your kids to do. That's not it's not that hard. And disciple, if you're a disciple, if the priest is a disciple of God, and you've ministered a disciple of God, you multiply yourself. Multiply yourself in others. Multiply Christ in you into everybody else. Let them see the Christian life lived out, and they'll follow suit, and they'll think that's just a normal way to do it. Be courageous. Be bold. Don't back off, and don't soften the message because they can see right through that. You know, kids see through, like, you want to please them. You don't want to not offend them. We talk about all of it. We explain gay marriage. We explain abortion. We explain contraception. We pornography, masturbation, all those things we talk about. As Of course, it's not like harsh, rigid stuff, but we tell them this is the truth. They have a right to know. Yeah. You know, they have a right to know because my job is to let them know they can do whatever they want with the information, you know, but it's loving Jesus. But here's what it means to love Jesus. That means you have to live a certain way. We do young people a disservice when we allow them to not know the truth, to remain ignorant because we're afraid, you know, and Father Sinish and I aren't, aren't old. I don't know what the age is for old, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm 29, so... Ten years ago, I was 19. Yeah. So it's like I get it a lot more than people realize of the culture, the way things things work, the way that people are being bombarded with craziness. Uh, young people want authenticity. They want truth. And especially high school kids, they can read through stuff. They can read through someone who's being inauthentic. Um, so we just need to remain close to the Lord in prayer and sacrifice and authentically lead other people when they come, when yeah. they see the truth, when they, because that inspires the, the, the spirit that's within each of us, you know, that flame is in each of all of us, uh, is in all of us, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's um, kindled with truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one last thing, which is a common thing that people do is if your end goal is to not offend anybody, not get any complaints, you're already failed youth ministry in my eyes. If you're going, to, when I came in and we started a new youth life team thing, I had like forty percent of the kids leave the confirmation program because we can't do this anymore because no one's coming to church. They left and they complained, and it appeared to be this was a bad move in the beginning because people left. But my my thing is like they're already not there, they're already not going to mass. That's the whole point we're changing this is because no one's going to mass and no one's graduating church after confirmation, and we still have a bunch of graduates too. I mean, probably more than half still. But generally, it's 100% that they'll never come back, right? So do you can't if your priest is about not offending people and it's always making sure and it's not mission-oriented you and you have great gifts, you may want to look for another job. And then priests, and I encourage you to be bold and zealous and to stop trying to please everybody uh, and to make your priority not to, not to offend people. If you're going to make changes, people are going to complain, people are going to leave, and people are going to say things to you that are mean, but that's what, that's just what the Christian life is. Like, that's the nature of it all. Like, that's sacrifice. That's picking up your cross. That's, if it's for the sake of Christ and for the sake of bringing souls, 
you got to measure. You're going to lose some, and there's going to be someone who are going to respond. But the ones that do respond are going to produce fruit hundredfold, you know, 200-fold, as Jesus says, 10-fold, 20-fold, 50-fold, 100-fold. And a bunch of other seed is not going to grow. But the ones that does grow, it's amazing, right? So, yeah. Yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. Write that one down. Oh, yes. Um, all right. Last last set of questions. We've been doing this thing called Catholic Quick Questions, a speed round at the end. Speed round. Are you guys ready? Yeah. This is like quick answers? Yes. All right. Rapid Except fire. They have not been quick. But you guys could be the ones to make it quick. We'll do it. <laughs> okay. We'll do it. All right. Favorite book of the Bible? Okay. Who, let's figure out who's going to go first. <laughs> do we say it at the same time? or No. Whichever. Oh, why don't you go first because you you're younger. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, favorite book of the Bible? Uh, Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Luke. Okay. All right. Um, favorite book in general? Not the Bible. Not the Bible. Um, Divine Mercy, Faustina's Divine Mercy. Yes. Or or Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Okay. Uh, the Edge of Sadness by Edwin O'Connor. Okay. Um, favorite musician or band? Bethel. Nice. Good answer. Michaela said the same thing, I think. How about you? I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Elvis fan. <laughs> okay. All right. A- and... Uh, and corn. Beautiful. That, that's great. I don't think... I, yeah. Yep. <laughs> we, we haven't gotten those answers before. All right. <laughs> Slipknot. I liked Slipknot in high school. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's great. Um, what is your favorite country that you've ever been to? America. Haiti. That, those are very fitting answers. Um, what is your favorite way to pray or form of prayer? Adoration. Yeah, I would say adoration. Okay. All right. Silent or music? Both. Yeah. That was good. All right. Um, What's your confirmation saint? Raphael. Thomas Aquinas. Hmm. Okay. Um, But I have to admit, I didn't choose him because he was like a rock star saint. I have to admit. I had heard, like you heard with Longinus or however you say his name, uh, I had heard a random thing about Thomas Aquinas that he was a massive man and like he was really fat and... In order for him to be able to eat with his brothers at the table, they had to cut out a hole at the table so that he could slide in. Yeah, but I think that's a Protestant invention. It probably is, but as 15-year-old me, I was like, that's like the coolest thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> he and I are kindred spirits, There's and I'm going to choose my name after that fat guy who had a hole cut out of the table so that he could eat with them. So yeah. that's I have to admit, that's, that's the reason I chose Thomas Aquinas. And then when I realized he was like, a doctor of the church. A doctor of the church <laughs> and, like, the premier teacher on faith and morals that we have in the doctors of the church. I was like, oh, all right. Well, maybe he chose me rather than I chose him. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Aquinas, yeah, get yes. it. All right. Um, if you could meet any pope, who would it be? Oh, St. Gregory the Great. I Yes. That was actually Steve the missionary from Repentance Submit said that, and he had a very long-winded reason why. Yeah. But well, he stood when the barbarians were at the door and yes. was able to go meet with the... He's got a, this amazing letter that you read every year on his feast day of how he's administratively what he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I have to deal with this. I have to deal with the barbarians. I have to deal with a city that's failing. I have to deal with the sewer system. Not to mention I have to deal with the day-to-day administration of the church. And, and then on top of that, I have to be patient with all these difficult personalities. 
So I just like him. He's just like a man's man, and he's just like a fighter, and he's not afraid to confront barbarians. Courageous. Like, I love courage. Courage in the midst of affliction, and you stand firm. That's what we need today. We need, like, those people who are firm and, and not ready to cave and not letting, not letting their rule of life be, let me not offend anybody. True. Mm. I've you? always been fascinated by potentially meeting the second pope. Linus. I yeah. I, I was like, how, how is it to come after St. <laughs> Peter? Like, you know that you're not going to be as great, right? Like, that's St. Peter, man. But I've always had a fascination, like, how do you, <laughs> how do, you do that? How do you just become the second one after yeah. St. Peter? That's a big deal. That's yeah. some big shoes to fill, man. Well, uh, they saw it as, I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, that's what this first, what is it, 50 popes were martyrs. Yeah. They're just like, if I accept this, I'm going to die. So, uh, yeah, having a having a nice uh, Stella Artois with uh, with him would have been would have been pretty cool. Someday we'll do it. All right. In the, be, in the beatific vision, mm-hmm. if we get there. Okay. Um, if you could be best friends with any one saint, who would it be? Um, saint John Vianney. Best friends with any saint. Oh my. I don't know how to answer that. I've never heard that before. You can pick two saints if you're having trouble deciding. No, I just... Okay. Best, best friend with any saint. Uh, man, that's not easy. I don't know. <laughs> Sa- uh, maybe, I mean, St. Paul, St. John Paul the Great would be kind of cool. Just kind of. Could have whipped me into shape with all those mountain climbing. Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. Oh, yes. That would have been cool. That makes me very happy. Have a happy. cigar with him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Good answers. I like that. St. Jerome. I think he's tough. St. Jerome would have been yeah. pretty cool. We went to his tomb, right? Did we? Yes. It was in. It was next to the Holy Innocence Chapel. Oh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Yep. Yeah. Good times. Yes, Yeah. All right. Well, it was wonderful to have the two of you on. Thank you yeah. for sharing Boom. all of all of your wonderfulness with this podcast. Um, do you have any closing pieces of advice for young people who are listening? Be courageous. Be bold. Stop trying to conform. Uh, keep focused on Christ. Pray. He will give you the courage and the Holy Spirit. Fight for your soul. Fight for the salvation of your friends. Um, rely on the Holy Spirit for courage. Never get discouraged. Uh, never quit never 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 despair but always focus on the cross and you will have everything you need that's all your answers are right there on the cross that was that was something that was pretty good that was pretty good yeah that was thank you again that one down oh yes i don't know what book he like memorized for this (laughs) day but uh, i was just gonna say eat healthy (laughs) (laughs) try to stay away from fatty foods don't do what i did Although Kentucky Fried Chicken is pretty good, I just have to say. I think they changed their name, though. It's only KFC now. You Kitchen can't Fried Chicken. But, Sad. yeah, Father Sinisha said it said it best. You know, keep your eyes on the cross. And uh, when we conform ourselves to the cross, everything works out. Like, people forget it's that simple. It is that simple. Follow the cross. Conform to the cross. It might not be simple to live out every single day, but if you just do it every single day. It works. 
Yep. True. We're still learning that. And then also find a com- you need a community to live yes. this life. It's so Absolutely. hard without community. Community, friends. Yeah. yeah, I agree. When I first got to college and hadn't found the Catholic people yet, my prayer life tanked for a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, both thank of you. Thank you, Olivia, for having us. Yeah. It's awesome. It was a good time. All right, we will talk to you next week. Peace. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the To the Heights podcast. And a big thank you to Father Matthew and Father Sanisha for coming across the street and for coming up from Hingham to chat in the studio with me. Thank you for the gift of your priesthood. And thank you for all that you are doing for us teens and for the church. We look up to you and we are immensely grateful for the roles that you play in all of our lives. Be sure to tune in next week for a very sweet and very holy guest who I cannot wait to talk to. Um, and cannot wait for you to hear. But until then, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at To The Heights CTV, or find me at OliviaRose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. Talk to you next week and keep on reaching to the heights. Mm-hmm.